0: Some rose. If that's what you wanna do, it's okay. We can drink some merlot
1: whatever we want on our juice box show.
2: Uh welcome to juice box, everyone. I'm Kathleen. Hi
3: everyone, I'm Campbell. Welcome back. Uh, We're super excited today. We have a very, very special guest. uh, And Kathleen will introduce her now.
2: Yes, we are thrilled to have our very first winemaker on the show. Her name is Megan Bell of Margins Wine in Santa Cruz, California. So welcome, Megan. Thank you for joining us today.
0: Thank you. Hi, everyone. I'm Megan. Uh, My company is Margins Wine. And I work with lesser-known vineyards and varietals, quote unquote, on the margins. Um, so I started studying wine right out of right out of high school. Um, I went to Davis uh, when I had just turned 18, and I I went in undeclared, but I already knew that I was transferring into the wine program. So I started all the classes that would be for the wine program, and then by the end of my freshman year, I was in it um with absolutely no interest really in wine whatsoever um or like background my family's not in wine and there's a couple factors like one I was looking for or a degree that would lead straight to a job uh I wanted to study English but I graduated high school in 2008 and I was watching like all my pals not be able to get jobs with their like philosophy and English degrees and I feel like that was really the beginning where STEM became like the only way that you could get a job, at least in the area that I live in, which is kind of a bummer. Um, But I was like, okay, I don't want to work in STEM proper, but like what is a degree that I can do that's going to lead to like a direct job and hopefully a job that's outside. And then there was like the added bonus of my high school boyfriend (sighs) just convinced that we could start a joint winery brewery and that was like a big factor in wanting to go to the wine program because like it would just be so easy to start this joint winery brewery all I would need to do is like get a wine degree uh so that that's why I went into the program and then my interest in wine really blossomed later like a couple years after I had been working in the wine industry um but when I came out of college I I was correct in the way that it did lead me straight to a job, but it wasn't a field that I necessarily enjoyed because it turned out I wasn't that interested in wine. <laughs> um. I was actually curious because obviously
2: the le- <laughs> like the legal drinking age in the U.S. is twenty-one. It's funny that you legally cannot consume what you're studying until you're three years into the program.
0: Yeah, that's that's very true. Um, in that program what they don't tell you is that that program's really designed for people who already work in the wine industry to transfer in and get a second bachelor's in most cases Um, that's not uh, I've heard that since I graduated the format of of the program has changed a little bit but at least at the time that I was there they didn't tell you this the but like they weren't gonna give you any type of background but like the program doesn't start from the beginning you really jump in as if you know all about wine and that was really challenging for me because obviously I was you know way too young to know anything about anything (laughs) uh, including wine so yeah I was like totally (laughs) lost (laughs) Um, like I remember this was my fourth year so I'd already been in the program for three years and in one of my winemaking classes I was supposed to do or like our research project for like my small group was on extended maceration and I was like what is extended maceration and I was so (laughs) confused but like and the wording is confusing for people that don't work in the wine industry but all it means is keeping the wine on the grapes for a long period of time but it was mind-boggling to me because I had no context that you could keep wine on grapes for different periods of time like I didn't know at all
3: (laughs) you you weren't interested in wine you said when you started and you've you've explained your reasoning for for why you did but I'm curious like like what was your relationship with wine then and how has it changed like is was it purely just something to study or or yeah I guess just like what did what did wine mean to you at age 18
0: yeah nothing nothing Um, no nothing at all (laughs) I I was I was like all not all but most privileged college kids were like I didn't really care about studying like I was there to do other things and I am really glad for the experiences that I had socially I I lived in a A co-op with um 12 people in in each house and there was three of these houses next to each other in the middle of campus surrounded by a huge garden um and there was like 45 of us all together and we made all of our decisions by consensus and we cooked dinner together five nights a week and we were really like a living experiment and all of my time went to that like that I would say if someone asked me what did I major in I majored in the co-ops like (laughs) (laughs) I have a degree that says wine in English but what I was doing with most of my time was sitting on the porch learning how to interact with people which actually has been very beneficial um in terms of owning a company like I feel like I had a lot of experience with organization and Mm -hmm. planning events for large amounts of people and trying to make things work um for people at you know at different levels and, and varying degrees all from my time living there. Um and mostly I was drinking like you know I had a friend that was 21 and he would buy me a jar of Carlo Rossi every you know five days or whatever in the big jug and that's what I was drinking. Um, and we also lived like right by Trader Joe's. So we had when it was still two buck like mm-hmm. just buy oh, yeah. a case of two buck chuck and it didn't matter to me, you know, I was, I was always interested in, in organic farming. It was student farm at Davis and we would trade time on the student farm in return for veggies. And of course it's an organic garden. And then we had this big garden around our houses where we, we grew a bunch of our own food. So I feel like that was like more up my alley always, <laughs> but wine, wine continues to not be super interesting to me even now like <laughs> wine production <laughs> wine production awesome very interested in wine production drinking wines and discussing the attributes of the <laughs> not of interest to sure. me even still
3: did you ever have like a phase of of drinking great wines or trying to figure out what that was all about or just never
0: I think that um yeah, I've definitely had phases of drinking great wines because I have lived or worked with people with amazing sellers who are just like mostly old dudes and like their fifties and sixties, uh, who are, you know, they, they've amassed a great collection and they want to share it with people. And like, who's most easily impressed. It's going to be like, you know, some young intern. Uh, (laughs) and like, I, even up till maybe like as as recently as 4 or 5 years ago i was still you know going to like wine tastings um at like wine shops and learning about different regions and the classics and listening to people rave about insert classic expensive right. french wine here <laughs> and trying like thinking it was important because everyone around me was making it seem like it was important but um i think over time as my confidence in what I'm doing has grown and just getting older and realizing what's important to me. And, and that's just never going to be important to me. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I like that classic fancy wine as much as one of my friend's wines that cost $20.
2: On the consumer end of things, like when I walk into the wine shop or whatever, I am very bombarded with the like, I mean, as I should be, if I'm walking into a wine shop with the the marketing side of it and like, here's all these amazing different producers from around the world. And I don't think I have ever heard anyone before, maybe because I'm not in the wine world, but I haven't heard someone kind of just talk about how much they love just the process of making it and the farming part of it. And that the farming actually led you to making wine if you weren't farming grapes if you weren't doing that what would your crop be like if you weren't making wine
0: I don't know I feel like if I if I didn't do wine I probably would have done like woofing um all over I don't know maybe oh yeah to developing. I I just know yes, oh, yes. opportunities on organic. yes wine. yeah yeah I've um, definitely heard of it that's so I cool probably, yeah just would have gone around and like some of my friends were doing the Hawaii thing, uh, yeah, thing, and like that seemed pretty magical. Yeah, and I was just using that as a, a vehicle to travel and to be able to afford totally. it by, you know, not having any living expenses. Yeah, um, yeah. So I don't, I don't know where I would have ended up, but yeah. that probably would have gotten me if I. It almost did get me. Like there was one point where, like I had gotten back from uh France and I had been living in New Zealand for the year before that um looking for a full-time job in California and it just like wasn't happening it had been months Mm -hmm. and I was starting to think like maybe I don't want to do this and there's there's been so many points where I've thought that um but that that was a really big one Uh, and Mm -hmm. then I just like happened to get this job in Santa Cruz. Um, and the rest is history kind of, yeah. And there were so many times that like, I felt happy to be pulled in whatever direction, but the wine thing just kept, it's, uh, it's not like I caught a wine bug or anything, but it just kept working out. So I just kind of took the path that it led me on.
2: Yeah, totally. Well, and you alluded to this earlier on when you were kind of giving your overview of, of who you are, but I know that Margins, the name ties back to the grapes that you choose and stuff. And so can you talk about how Margins came to be and, and why you've you've chosen to go about it the way that you have?
0: Yeah, I really came up with the concept for it early on, like when I was still interning in France, I think, because um, we were making I was in the, the Loire, so we were mostly making Chenin Blanc, all different kinds of Chenin. And prior to being there, I had never even had Chenin Blanc to my knowledge, And I had already been out of school for more than two years. (laughs) And, like, I don't even think I had heard of it. Just because I think when you're on the wine production side, like, it's not like working in wine sales or in restaurants when you're constantly exposed to all different wines. Like, when you work in production no one's giving you wine until, like, the end of your internship, (laughs) you know, or, like, maybe for lunch, so I just wasn't um, around that, and I guess I just, like, fell in love with Shannon when I was in the Loire and was, like, how did I not know about this, and then I was thinking, like, what grapes do I even know about? There's, like, less than 10 that I could name even at that (laughs) time, and I remember that I had learned in one of my, like, really early undergrad, or sorry, there was all undergrad, um, what's it, I don't know, like, pre-rec wine, wine classes, uh, that there was, like, over 2,000 confirmed varieties of, of grapes, maybe up to, like, 5,000 all over the world, and how fascinating that is, and, Mm -hmm. but I only knew about this tiny percentage, uh, was just kind of shocking to me and I felt like a lot of people probably felt like me who were just normal people who did not work in wine sales like just normal consumers that mm-hmm. buy wine at the grocery store for the most part um maybe not as much now but certainly in like 2014-15 um and they just you know there's like the chardonnay section the the zin section for california the zin section the cab Sauv, the pinot noir and like in our grocery stores like they're labeled by varietal and there's really only like six and mm. how are you gonna know what you really like if you've never had all of these other wines it's one factor and then also just like Why I've always been like pro underdog so like what about all these other wines like why didn't they have a chance of like being on the shelf for the mass market to enjoy yeah
2: which I mean not that I know very many grapes personally but I whenever I got to visit the winery and when I tried um I don't remember how to pronounce it I think it's kunwazi how do you say it the coon was
0: coon was. It rhymes rhymes with coon paws like a <laughs> paws. Thank,
2: <laughs> thank you. I know I I'm very bad with all the pronunciations and you I know too. I know camp's cringing <laughs> but uh <laughs> anyway that was like I'd never heard of that grape before mm-hmm. and I tried it and I heard about it because of you and bought that bottle and enjoyed it while In California. And it was just like, I don't know. It's so cool to think about there being so many different varietals because I think we reduce wine down to those six grapes. And Mm. so I love thinking about there are all these different uncovered things that, that are being recovered by you in California, like bringing all these Grapes that people aren't thinking about as much.
0: That's mm-hmm. definitely the goal. And and even though my market, I would say the people that are buying the wine for now are mostly people that know a lot about wine because that is who buys natural wine so mm-hmm. far in our country. Yeah. Um, but my thought is is almost always on the person that knows nothing and has never had this before. And I always think of like my parents or, you know, one of my friend good friends that I grew up with who love wine, but, you know, they don't work in in the wine industry, so their exposure is is limited, and what can I do to bring these wines to them? Mm -hmm.
2: That's really cool, and I feel like that's kind of what sparked us, Camp and I, starting this. I think both of us are kind of always we're like wanting to tell our friends who are kind of interested in wine we're like wanting to kind of bring them into like this is like this is what is cool about it this is like this wide world so um i we really connect with that idea of of you making the wine with with those types of consumers in mind um but yeah
3: yeah and that's like sort of just like nashville like inherently right like nobody here really knows anything about wine especially these marginal varietals or Mm -hmm. um you know just it's like you said it's it's the grocery store which honestly we just got wine in our grocery stores like two years ago
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) wow uh
3: yeah but it's it's just um yeah, people just like kind of buying blindly off the shelves based on you know what their parents drank and their grandparents drank. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have now. I mean, I would say like in the last five years, it's kind of changing a little bit. Um, we have this one wine shop, um, Woodland Wine Merchant. We shout them out like every show, but uh, they they're just kind of like a pillar of of natural wine and and like um, you know special and like cared for wines. From around the world um in, in our little east nashville community and and that kind of like started a ball rolling and now there's different restaurants like the the one that i work for we do exactly what you're doing like we try to do you know if if i see a wine available at like different rest like many many restaurants around town i'll just take it off my list because that's not what we're trying to do we're, we want to like mm-hmm. do stuff that people haven't heard of and stuff that's educational and like kind of new Mm. um so that is i i love that that's kind of the mission of of margins Um, yeah i have a question so you you're like a, a natural or organic winemaker is that i know you said like organic farming has always been like sort of what pulled you in um with winemaking do you like make wine naturally because why do you why do you choose to not uh like to make wine naturally in the cellar as well or like low intervention to carry on like the organic nature of of the grapes or or do you taste a difference or what's what's your reasoning for for choosing that rather than you know taking the easy way if you will
0: (laughs) yeah you know it's funny that you say that because it actually turns out the really the easy way is sort of the way that i'm doing it if everything goes right.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Like it is so much more comp unnecessarily so complicated to make like conventional wine. And I think that was why I was so turned off by it at the beginning. It wasn't even necessarily that I was like, uh, there's more than 70 additives in this wine and they're not listed on the label. Gross. Like I didn't really know that at the beginning. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of people don't know that now. Um at the beginning, I was just more like I was working these early internships and the amount of shit that we had to put in the wine and what we had to do, all the different steps. Uh it was like when my parents asked me, do you know what how to make wine? I said no, because I like I thought winemaking was what I do now. And we did all this, all these extra things um that I know now why they're done and that they're just part of, you know, conventional winemaking, they end up helping later with clarity or stability or whatever, but um they they take freaking forever. Yeah. I, like <laughs> I'm a very efficiency-minded person, especially as a one-person company most of the time. I did have my first intern this harvest which was awesome, but uh for the rest of the year so far it's just me and I want to do things the way that makes the most sense but still gonna get me like a great product um Mm -hmm. and then it's almost like the added benefit of that is that it ends up being low intervention slash natural wine but Mm -hmm. i would say i'm more i've always been more (laughs) geared toward efficiency and it it just doesn't make sense to me to make something harder than it has to be um especially like at the beginning like i said i was so floored by all the extra steps that we were taking like instead of just like putting the grapes in fermenting them and like putting them to barrel and being done which is what i do now we did like they had to be the wine had to be moved around like a gazillion times (laughs) and like that required intense cleaning uh because wine is mostly cleaning wine production um Every surface has to be sanitized before the wine touches it. But if you're gonna move it that many times, that's more and more cleaning, which is more and more water waste, uh, which is really, really important to be aware of in California right now. Right. Really always, but especially now. Um yeah, I just wanted it to be simpler. <laughs>
3: yeah. So do you do you even have like um like do you have principles as far as like that stuff goes? Like are you are you like, do you, do you take steps to maintain, you know, the, the title of natural winemaker or, or organic farmer or, or anything, or is it purely just like efficiency and, and kind of like what, how you want to make it?
0: I think now that I'm in, as far as I'm in, it's, it's so much more than it it started out being like, organic farming is crucial. And it's not like I have to be working with vineyards that have always been organic. Um, I'm very clear about that on my website, like over the past four or five years I've helped a bunch of people convert their vineyards to organics Um, but doing that required working with them when they were not yet organic and being willing to stick with them through that transition period but I think converting more acreage to organics is really important of course working with organic vineyards is my goal however like I drink wines that aren't from organic vineyards and I still think they're delicious. You know, some wines are just delicious. And people say that it tastes better when it's from an organic vineyard. And I would say it tastes better because you know that they're not doing something bad to the land. But if we are like, from a scientific point of view, going to do like a double blind test, like that might not end up being the case.
3: (laughs) Do you feel that same way about produce? Like if you ate a carrot from like an organic farmer or a carrot from someone that's been using all sorts of sides, uh, like, do you, do you believe that one tastes better than the other or?
0: I think it's different with produce. Okay. That's what I'm curious
3: about. Why?
0: Produce, uh, because produce isn't going through an entire extra chemical process, like Mm -hmm. fermentation. Yeah, like what makes the wine taste the way it tastes is the fermentation it's not like of course the grapes we have different grapes for different reasons but um it's not like we're eating like a fresh product the way we are with with organic produce which just so clearly tastes better Yeah, <laughs> uh, like yes. i don't know what the type of access is to to fresh produce in your area but like i'm surrounded by like an agricultural capital so most of what's at the grocery store here came within 50 miles. Yeah, um, yeah. And a lot of it, well, where I shop, all of it is is organic produce. Um, but with the wine, like, there's hundreds of decisions that get made after the grapes hit the winery that end up impacting the flavor of it, such that, like, the grapes themselves are masked whether or not natural winemakers want to believe that i feel like natural winemakers want to say like this is just like the purest expression of the vineyard but it's not it's the purest expression of whatever happened in the fermentation really because that is what is determining all the the flavor compounds
3: yeah that's this is this is so fascinating <laughs> to hear this, like from a, from from a winemaker's mouth, um, because I always wonder that. And I taste like, um, I, mean, I taste tons of wines every day, uh, and I I do believe that sometimes I I think that natural wines taste, you know, just more energetic. And, mm-hmm. and like um, eager and expressive than than conventional wines do. Like I, I just, conventional wines just don't, I don't know, they, they taste like spreadsheets to me. They just taste like everything that they're supposed to taste like and it's super, super boring. But right. I think that even like if you get into natural wines, because the the restaurant where I work, we, we only serve natural wines, so that's all I'm tasting. But I think there's even like, I can taste tears, like uh, whether or not they're adding sulfur, Um or, or like how, what was the shipping, you know, like things mm-hmm. like that. And I think that certain wines taste even more alive than others. Like there's certain, mm-hmm. I mean, certain winemakers like Christian Sheeta and, mm-hmm. and, you know, Gouda Gao and like those, those super famous ones. I think that those winemakers that aren't really adding any sulfur at all, but they're somehow making wines that are not, that that are, that are sound. That's like the what's so impressive to me. Um, yeah. The, the process that happens like post vineyard I guess mm-hmm. um, as a natural winemaker it, it's it's interesting to hear you say that that's kind of where the real expression comes out because that's yeah. not what that's not what like people are saying and people are reading and writing in books and stuff it's all like oh it's the vineyard and, and yeah. terroir yeah. you know I, mean, <laughs> I, I buy into all that stuff too but it's it's interesting to hear you say the fermentation is like really where it's at.
0: Yeah, I mean, the vineyard matters, of course, but the vineyard matters equally as the other hundred decisions that happened along the way. And, like, the vineyard should get credit, but, like, the vineyard is separate from all of the the winemaking things. So even though people are like, oh, we did, like, we barely touched it, we did the most natural thing possible, but say they, like, change facilities, their wine's going to taste different. Because just being in a different space is going to make that wine not the same. So there are all these decisions that we do make. Whether or not we're intending to have whatever winemaking decision really impacts the flavor of the wine or the final product, it does. So with that in mind, like I don't make wine this way just because it's like easier quote-unquote because there's so many more opportunities for things to go wrong you know making wine with uh, natural wine or or low intervention wine just to just to be clear um, I don't call myself natural wine because I reserve that term for the folks that are really zero zero, nothing added, nothing taken away. Sure. And I'm zero zero, except I'm not because I add like usually about 20 parts per million of sulfur the week before bottling. So I just like to call myself low intervention. Because we're not employing these tactics that factory wines or conventional wines um, are using, things can go wrong at every single stage. And then we can't fix them because our toolkit is so limited. Whereas the the toolkit for conventional wine is, is infinite because there's a, these over 70 additives that you can put into the wine in order to quote unquote fix it. Uh, like you said, Campbell, so that it ends up seeming like a spreadsheet, like it hid all the things that you wanted it to. Right. Whereas like with my wines, even the same exact vineyard tastes really different every year because the fermentation was different that year. And I usually do the same thing most years fermentation wise but even doing the same thing because all the factors around it were different ended up with a totally different product from year to year and that's something that I love about um, natural wine is that there isn't consistency and that's something that I really embrace Um, and I've been talking a lot about recently of like if you really support this type of winemaking you need to be okay with not liking the same wine that year that you loved the year before, mm-hmm. because you want, well, theoretically you want it to taste different every year because it's natural wine. So some years the taste isn't going to be like exactly what you wanted, but it's the theory that you have to keep supporting.
3: Let me ask you this: Given all that, that it changes year to year, how do you grow, and or how do you like do, like twenty five year old you versus you now? how have you, have you grown as a winemaker or is it just like fighting each vintage, you know, like fighting the good fight, (laughs) trying to figure out how to make that wine the best or or like, do you learn things and kind of develop as a winemaker um, so that it gets better and better each year? Or what does that look like?
0: I think you learn so much and it doesn't necessarily mean it's better the next year, (laughs) Um, but you still learn. And like, if we were conventional wine, As we learned, we would get better. The wine would get better because we would know what to add and take away in order to fix it. But we're not really in control of that. The fermentation is. So there's experiences that I collect over time that inform how I treat something the next year, for sure. But then there's always, you know, a new problem. Um, And because we only get one shot per year, we don't get to practice very much. (laughs) yeah that's that's why i think some people are like oh i've how many vintages have you done like maybe you don't know because you don't work in wine production but this is a very popular question when you're like (laughs) interning around the world they'll be like oh what vintage is this for you and like it's legit if you can be like oh this is my 15th because like theoretically um those 15 times you had to practice have made you like an expert which is so funny because like in any other industry or skill 15 times would be nothing right (laughs) but that's with our one year or like our one time per year to to learn and grow 15 times is a lot so it's just like a very very slow arc
2: also speaking of uh, it being hard work. I know you guys are just coming off of harvest. Tell us about how harvest was. And I, it occurred to me when you were talking about you were like in the winery when we first got on the call, and you're like, "Oh, I was just doing this." I was like, "Oh yeah, they have all their grapes harvested now, <laughs> and the work doesn't stop because harvest is over." So uh, yeah, tell us about how harvest was. And I guess for my education and for our listeners' education about the work that you're about to be doing with those grapes.
0: Harvest 2021 was a really good year. I feel like there's there's this idea that winemakers every year like it was the best year but like that's not true some years are bad Uh, 2020 was was not a good vintage in california because of like a huge heat spike that we had Mm. combined with all the fires yeah 2021 for my area was great it was horrible in like the foothills near near tahoe because there was a fire raging all of harvests and you know, people lost their entire crop, which means those wineries lost, you know, 40% or more of their production. So it's not, I feel like it's not across the board the way it used to be, just because we have this wild card of fire now. Mm -hmm. Whereas like basically anywhere that it wasn't on fire that vintage, we're like, it was a great year yeah (laughs) it wasn't burning (laughs) and in the area I work in in Santa Cruz we had a a huge huge fire during harvest last year that really impacted um, our our area and this year we were spared but that said it it was a really cool summer uh, throughout the California coast so the acidity of the grapes was really good as as temperatures increase and grapes get riper, they lose acidity. And because we had really slow ripening, because we didn't have a lot of heat, everything retained acidity. So had nice low pHs, especially for red wines, which I'm very stoked on because 2020 red wines were challenging. Um we can talk about the wine that you're drinking, Kathleen, in, in a yeah. little bit. But yeah. that was a not a planned blend. That was a out of necessity. Blend. Oh okay. Um yeah. but Yeah, 2021 was much easier, at least for me. And I picked my very last grapes on Sunday, and it's now Tuesday. So I just picked the last ones. And so I have uh, three fermentations still going. And then about 40 barrels left to fill, which is what I was doing uh, right before this. And I'll go back to doing probably pretty late tonight. I've got a lot of barrels to fill. But yeah, kind of the progression is like the grapes come in as grapes they get processed in whatever way that is for white wines direct to the press to become liquid to ferment and or for me for red wines de stem everything so just separating the grapes from the stems and then they go into a fermenter which is just a big box that can hold a volume of grapes and then they stay in there um, and that's how the red grapes get their color uh, from that skin contact time and that's where the fermentation uh you know really gets kicking when it's on skins um, and then everything gets pressed where the grapes are separated from the liquid and then the liquid goes into barrel so this whole process that i just described kind of too quickly for sorry everyone maybe too quickly um, but that process is constantly happening throughout harvest so it's not like you yeah. wait until all the grapes right. are here to start but it's like as soon as the grapes are there you do yeah. that process for those and then the next ones come and the next ones come and then everything it's almost like a round like everything is happening at once and mm-hmm. different wines are in different stages uh throughout harvest and so now I'm I'm getting to the end of that uh, where things I'll just have wine and barrel or excuse me wine and tank waiting to go to barrel but I won't have any more active fermentations and then I'll be able to breathe like this nice sigh of relief because I won't be managing a fermentation anymore which is always um, more work because you have to keep it make sure it's happy
2: yeah you have all these different plates spinning all at once and now the harvest plate has stopped spinning but you still have a lot of other stuff that's simultaneously happening i guess
0: yeah and all of these things that i described are are harvest right uh, right part of harvest yeah I think people forget the wine is only made once a year. I know I've said it a lot mm-hmm. um, right now, but it's not like beer where, you know, there might be brewing yeah. once a month or even more, you know, we, we only do harvest during harvest from August through the end of October, mostly uh, every yeah. year. And then the rest of the year is full of other processes <laughs> um, yeah. but in terms of the making of the wine. It's only right now. And that's good because uh, it's exhausting because um, you can't plan it because it's agriculture. So you never know when things are going to be ready and you can't predict how fermentations are going to go or how quickly they're going to take. And then we're using a ton of um, huge equipment, which breaks all the time. (laughs) So like you can never plan for when something's going to go wrong and it delays you. And there's just a lot of moving parts and unpredictability during harvest that we don't have the rest of the year yeah so harvest is like simultaneously I feel like every winemaker's like favorite time of the year and least favorite time of the year
2: (laughs) it seems like where you're just like probably living at the winery and like living your job pretty much all day and all all night is what it what I've gathered from just following different
0: winemakers. Yeah. When people ask me this time of the year, they're like, how are you doing? (laughs) I have nothing to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. I have been at work only for the last two plus months. (laughs) Yeah. Which is
2: actually, I mean, I know right now it's exhausting, but I, I kind of miss having that sort of flow with, with work cuz i miss it from school like having the semesters so the seasonality of winemaking at least from an outsider's perspective it sounds like there would be some sort of like so you're like really connected to the earth in that way where you are busy in a pattern that matches what's happening with the grapes themselves
0: no i i love the seasonality of it i just only like 3 of the 4 seasons
2: <laughs> <laughs> so i guess well, let's maybe we should talk about the wine that we're drinking. I so Camp lives in East Nashville as well. So I just poured some wine in a jar and brought it over him right before we got on the call. So he's drinking the neutral oak hotel right now as well. Also, for anyone listening, I guess I didn't mention I met Megan because I was in California and I emailed to ask if I could please come taste some wine and there she was doing a tasting so i got to go and um anyway when you were kind of talking about your different wines and you said neutral oak hotel i just i loved it then and i drank some in california so this is my second time trying it anyway let's talk about it
0: so the neutral Oak hotel uh, for 2020 of course it'll be different every year um, is one of the more as we say quote-unquote natty natural wines that I just a really <laughs> dumb word and I'm sorry but it has a definition that people understand so uh, profile than I normally make I feel like a lot of the wines that I make if people didn't know they didn't have additives they wouldn't know. Like, Mm they taste pretty clean and not conventional, but just someone's not trying it and being like, oh, this is natural wine, whereas I feel like the neutral hotel is definitely on that spectrum. I used, I had a lot of things go wrong with fermentations in 2020, as I already alluded to. Um, One of them involved smoke taint, and then also, I didn't mention, uh, during harvest last year, I was evacuated from my house because my neighborhood was on fire, so...
2: Oh my um, god! Uh,
0: Nine hundred homes in my neighborhood burned down last year, but I couldn't go home. So for seven weeks, uh, so my attention was not on harvest; mm-hmm. it was on whether or not my home had burnt down for yeah. about three and a half weeks of that time. And I wasn't. Uh, I also did not have an intern helping me last year, so I was totally alone, and I just like wasn't quite able to handle what I had set up for myself already without the added challenge of everything being on fire um Mm -hmm. I doubled production from 1000 to 2000 cases in 2020 and even though that's not that much it's a lot to do by yourself yeah and um even more when you're not super focused um which I wasn't yeah so I had a ferment several but this particular fermentation uh I had smelled and been like oh I'm gonna need to press that like ASAP because the longer you leave things on skins for extended maceration (laughs) if you will uh and things are going awry the more problems you're gonna have like if you start smelling off smells you want to press it immediately and I did not um it was a busy week and I did other things and Uh, not like fun things just other other harvest things (laughs) and I wasn't thinking about I think like the future last year because I was so focused on the present right Um, and so that was some of my most expensive grapes and they like were really close to being vinegar that Mm. wine and I was like oh god And I some wineries can afford to just they'll just pour it down the drain the wine mm-hmm. that doesn't work at margins yet uh, yeah. <laughs> I like really need all the wine to get sold. um mm-hmm. so I had had this neutral hotel name on reserve um one of someone close to me named it a few years ago and I just hadn't had a yeah a wine for it yet and I was like all right well what do we do when things go wrong in natural wine we we call it blending it out so we take whatever bad thing we have, quote unquote bad, and then we experiment with different amounts of other wines to try to make the the best factors come forward. Um, so that's what I did. I knew I had those three barrels that needed to be in there. And then I pulled wines from, uh, pulled uh, barrels from other like cuvées or different um, wines that I had already made. And then figured out the best proportion Mm. that was gonna like bring the best factors forward of something that like I was not proud of so that's how the Neutral Oak Hotel was born and there will be that one every year um but hopefully it won't always be like out of desperation (laughs) (laughs) like certainly in 2021 it's like I purposefully have picked different vineyards and designed it so I know what's going to go in there and I didn't have any trouble fermentations like that um this year which is great uh, yeah. it happens to everybody it it doesn't happen often but it's just kind of inevitable inevitable when you're dealing with wine production without controlling the fermentation
2: also just to kind of clue in the non wine heads in the audience i want to talk about just like what neutral oak is because i don't i think people oh, yeah. know, obviously wine we know that wine gets aged sometimes it's aged in barrels so maybe I just wanted to us to explain neutral oak um so can you explain it Megan
0: yeah uh that's that's a great thing to point out thank you um so their wine is aged sometimes like you said sometimes in barrels when those barrels are not new anymore or have been used, we usually say more than three times. They become neutral barrels, is what we call them. And that just means they're not having as much of an oak influence anymore. So we might say, like, oh, did you get some new oak? Uh mm-hmm. and that would be like a brand new barrel, or some like second use oak. That's like, you know, the second year. Um, so that just because we only make wines once a year, only they only get filled once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like that vintage was in. Was in them for this like year before it got bottled, and the more time wine goes into it, the less oaky influence is going to be on the wine. Those barrels are very neutral that that <laughs> wine is in. Um, they're like ten or fifteen years old, so oh, okay, neutral. And then I just love the idea of like. It being a hotel <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the yeah. wine the wine is only in barrels temporarily before yeah like, between arriving and then um going out the door in bottles um mm-hmm. and then like you know this this band is very dear to yeah to many of us in our age range and it tends to be like I would say that the the people who listen to the band neutral, oak, sorry, neutral <laughs> heavily overlap with the natural wine yeah. community. <laughs> so yeah. just everything kind of came together and made yeah. in this, this lovely way. And it also,
2: you know, I think it probably, hopefully will bring in people who are like, oh, I want to try this wine. I want to try one of Margen's wines, but I don't know anything about wine at all. They maybe see that and they just can't resist. just like <laughs> me, I um, even though I know a little bit about wine, I still was like, oh, I have to, I really want to try that. So hopefully that it will kind of bring people into the natural wine world a little bit too. So yeah. also, yeah. it tastes great. I'm, I'm We're really like liking it.
0: it. Yeah. Um, sometimes after the wine has just been bottled for a while all of the things that you're worried about (laughs) kind of dissipate um and and also I think not saying that that's like the best wine I ever made or anything I would never say that but we are so hard on ourselves um, as, as anyone making something is you know we're our biggest critics so my whole time I, I think how I feel experiencing that one I only see the bad mm-hmm. whereas if someone just comes in and I don't say anything yeah which is what I prefer then like it lets them experience the wine neutrally mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> instead of me <laughs> being like oh that's the worst wine I made in 2020 like for that person it like might be the only wine that they've ever had from me and they're like yeah I'm experiencing this fine
3: that's me (laughs) yeah
0: yeah which
2: I mean I love I Mm. do love that the part of the story of this wine is that things didn't go to waste I think that waste can be such a Big, like like, kind of what you were saying with using tons of water in more conventional ways of making wine or potentially pouring out the wine if it wasn't turning out correctly. And I obviously think back to barista days, pouring out tons of milk that I didn't think was steamed correctly. Mm. Um, there is like a good balance there of like, well, I do want to put something forward that of course I'm going to put something forward that I want to put my name on but at the same time there has to be a balance of what is actually sustainable for yourself but also like for mm-hmm. the world so I just love that you took this thing that you were not happy with how it was turning out and you act, you turned it into something that is in my opinion really good and we're enjoying yeah. it right now <laughs> and I'm excited to try the next iteration of this blend as well.
0: Yeah, that that really does mean a lot to me because 2020 was so <laughs> demoralizing for for everybody. But then yeah, to not have it be a, a yeah. You consider like a good year of your, yeah the art that you made or yeah whatever you did that year. Totally, it can feel like a, a huge failure. <laughs> um.
2: By the way, was your house okay in the fire?
0: Oh yes, my house okay. was okay. It came. Okay. The fire came within a quarter mile on two sides, but it did not get our house oh my
2: gosh camp what other questions do you have i have a couple more that are a little bit more vague
3: i was going to ask and now i suppose i will do you see yourself as an artist
0: definitely more now than i did when i started okay i still don't think it's the same as fine art <laughs> um yeah. i love writing yeah. and i and writing i always i already as important of an artist as it is I already feel like it's a step down art wise from like painting or drawing <laughs> and then <laughs> so like okay painting or drawing at the top writing and then somewhere way down like wine making Wine making. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah I think it has to be on the list because you're any type of creation like what what is art you know <laughs> right it's like yeah. creation by people yeah and that, I'm
3: sure you like have lots of highs and lows during that process too which i think is a nice art art
0: i i think what the part that's missing art wise in in wine is that those highs and lows are in the wine but people can't see them you know whereas in like visual art or writing you can express what your experiences were and those experiences are certainly part of wine like it's a it's an imprint of a year's experience Mm -hmm. uh, in a vineyard and what happened in the weather and the winery and everything. But, you know,
1: it's not
3: visible. (laughs) Do you, uh, do you ever, as a winemaker, I wonder like do you ever taste a wine and, and sort of feel a certain way or like detect any emotion, whether it be like one of yours that it's like brought back or one like that you think you you could maybe sense from that wine like if it's not your wine so i don't Mm -hmm. i'm wondering if if you can taste someone else's wine and sort of like feel anything that 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 winemaker has put into it or or one of yours even and like taste one of those highs or lows does that make sense what i'm saying or of
0: course yeah that definitely makes sense i don't know if i can do that i wouldn't discount that some people can do that i think I think different people are primed for different experiences and I don't think that type of thinking is something that I am primed for. I think I'm a very logistical thinker.
3: Sure.
1: But if
0: someone told me that they felt that when they drank wine, I would believe them.
3: Hmm. This is, this is fast. I'm one of the other people. So this is fascinating to me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I've had, I've had the feels, you know, when I'm drinking Mm -hmm. certain wines. Yeah. um, Of course most i would say mostly ones that i've made just because i i am getting to the point now where i can you know, the company isn't that old but now I'm in my sixth vintage so I can try a wine that I made the first year in 2016 and i think of like how much has changed and what that year was like and how that's different than things are now because like i'm still working with that vineyard and six years later and how my relationship with the grower of that vineyard has evolved and everything we've accomplished together and it it brings all of those emotions up in a, in a really nice way and I think um in the future it's too soon for the 2020 stuff but like later on if I drink a 2021 I think I'll get feelings mm. also Just yeah like, the loss of that year yeah so many different factors and Kind of like, but like this wine prevailed and we still have a physical print of that year, even with all of the things that didn't make it.
2: Totally. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that in some ways, in a small way, consumers can be connected to that way of experiencing wine by listening to winemakers talk about it. Like mm. this wine means this wine means more to me because I met you and we're talking to you now and I'm hearing from you about it Mm
0: -hmm. and
2: then if I just bought it at a shop because even though I would still enjoy it and anytime I research a wine more thoroughly I enjoy it more and so hopefully by listening to this podcast um, people can be connected to you in that way and I really want people I know that you're you're sold out of a lot of stuff right now, which is great, but I want people to like order wine from you because you can order the wine and have it shipped to Tennessee at this point, which Mm -hmm. is great. There's one other thing that you touched on before that I just wanted to hear more about. One thing that is so cool to me is that you aren't like you, you have this firm belief in organic farming, but that belief Mm -hmm. has actually led you to working with these um, vineyards who are open to transitioning to organic but are not yet so it's kind of led you to saying okay well let's work on this together i'll help you um Mm -hmm. that is really cool to me and i think that consumers they look for the you know the label in the store and they just want to see they just want to check that box but it's so much more complicated than that so i'd love to hear more about your experience working with all the different vineyards and your relationships with them because I was reading, I think it was maybe this one, one of the, um, one of the grapes in this one, or maybe I was reading about a different wine. You had been working with this like guy who's like 70 for many years in his vineyard. So share more about that if you don't (laughs) mind.
0: Yeah. Um, so I would say I was hyper aware of just all the different vineyard relationships that it takes to have a winery uh, this year more so than other years because I had an employee and I was with her bringing her to these places for the first time and these experiences that kind of they're just second nature to me she was like oh my gosh like there are so many people involved in this. And like, how do you keep track of all these relationships and keep them healthy and everyone, you know, pleased with each other and everything. I'm like, Oh my God, you're right. Like most of my job during this time of year, besides making wine is cultivating these relationships with people and maintaining them, which doesn't come natural to me because I really prefer to just be at home alone. (laughs) Uh, So as much as I love these relationships, They're not like this time of year, I'm way more outgoing than I am the rest of the year. Uh, And and that's because I'm working with so many different vineyards. So I think this year we worked with 11 or 12. I really haven't even finished counting um, all the spots. Uh, And every relationship with every grower is totally different. Um, What that person values from you and in their vineyard is, is different. Um, how they want to grow grapes and even though they're all doing organic farming at this point just like their reasons for doing organic farming and their commitments to even having a vineyard in the first place which like is not a very economically fruitful job um, here unless you have like a lot of land which most people don't Um, just kind of what drives them um, has been really inspirational to me uh, so yes I do work with Larry he's the one in his early 70s he and I okay. farm a vineyard together and cool. that vineyard's CCOF certified organic and has always okay. been organic Um, but so that one I didn't Larry's like a wonderful Santa Cruz hippie relic from another Amazing. time so he didn't need any convincing <laughs> but lots of other folks are just like normal people and uh, a lot of them, because of the area that I'm in, are super wealthy tech people, uh, mm. most of whom are retired. And so, like, they have no agricultural background whatsoever. And they, <laughs> you know, they <laughs> having a vineyard farmed anyway, whatsoever was, like, challenging enough or, like, as a, yeah. much of a departure from their careers um, in the first so- place
2: they worked in tech and now they own a vineyard that's what you're saying that some of them are many doing them. that at, in their retirement yes
0: many many of them at least three that is wild to uh, me because in the california the area i'm in yeah you, people the only people that own land here work in tech yeah um unless they have generational wealth or generational land where it's passed down mm-hmm. no one can afford things here you have to have yeah. worked in tech <laughs> yeah lots lots of lots of learning on their part like I really really credit a lot of these folks for deciding to do this with their time yeah and even going farther and deciding to like at least early on when I didn't have like accolades or yeah anything behind me to decide to to pursue this with me um because all of these like I said, all these vineyards are organic this year, but we've been pursuing this together for more than four years. So it's, yeah. it did not happen overnight. It's been a long um, road. And at this point, like, I don't want to work with any new vineyards. Uh, when I was first starting out, it was so hard to even find vineyards that yeah. fit all of my specifications. Like, oh, are you farming organically or are you willing to farm organically Um, do you have a unique varietal, are you within a certain driving radius from me, because I do all of my own grape trucking, um, and on and on and on, and that was really hard to find, and now people, you know, hear by word of mouth, like, oh, you do this thing, like, you should connect with this person, and now I have to say no to, wow, it's just starting to happen, yeah, um, finally, now I have to say no, just because Um, cultivating all of the relationships like I said is is a lot Um, because you have you know 11 or 12 different people needing things from you um, and working with you during your most busy time when you can't really dedicate yeah the type of energy that you would want to to the relationship because you're being pulled in so many different directions but like you you or the grower or their team is testing the vineyard constantly to see what the sugar levels are at what the acidity is at so that you can pick at the right time that coordination takes a lot if they are working with other winemakers they're doing the same thing with all of those people and then coordinating what day everyone is even available to pick those grapes mm-hmm. is a bit exhausting and much um and <laughs> like on their part um and they like need things from you but you're like i can't give you anything because like i have no idea cuz i can't plan so we're like yeah. everything is just like kind of up in the air it's like a beautiful mess really
2: well and it's so cool too cuz a lot of us who are newer to wine think of it as i have my vineyard i make my wine <laughs> like that's the whole process and in natural wine and I guess, I don't know if it's a natural wine thing, but as I've learned more about wine, I've realized, oh no, like you, it's not necessarily connected to your own land. Like you have to seek out this fruit and then you make the wine. I just love hearing about that too, because you have, you have made other people's land better by helping them enact this organic change that they might not have done otherwise. And I think that that is such a powerful part of the margins wine story because it's, it's not just wine. You're like changing agriculture in California in some way. Um, in a I know very a small
0: scale. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I think I don't think about that side that you just mentioned enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that, this does matter not necessarily because uh of the acreage that I'm gonna convert with these people, but that more and more people see this and yeah. then more and more people do it and then it spreads out as a movement because yeah. things just take time, especially agriculturally related mm-hmm. things. Yeah. Camp, do you have any more questions?
3: I guess I'm curious, like um in Nashville we have so many friends who are constantly trying to make it as musicians. But there seems to be like, you know, there seems to be like st- sort of formulas or steps that can be taken to to reach success or you know get a certain amount of spotify plays or whatever how in in wine in natural wine can you like make it as as a, a low intervention winemaker what what is it that how, how do you achieve success like how do, how did gutta become them or christian cheetah or milan Nestorek, or you know the superstars of natural wine.
0: I think it's funny that none of the people you mentioned are American. Yeah. And, and I think that that's really telling. And yeah, I would say you need to be European.
1: <laughs> uh, okay.
0: is a big factor. <laughs> I'm just not sure, not that we're doing thing things differently, winemaking wise. I'm, I just think part of the lure of natural wine right now still is that it's mystical to people and things from other countries are mystical even if they're the exact same (laughs) as what we're doing here there's a separation you know so yeah i don't know i don't know if anyone here can do that like there's a few successful natural wine people here but it's not like it's not like european folks um i don't think uh but i would say I don't know, European-wise. I would say it definitely doesn't hurt to be extremely good-looking. I think all the people you <laughs> named are, like, really conventionally attractive. Oh, um, yeah. I have
3: just seen them, but... <laughs> uh,
0: oh, oh, that's so funny. Well, I wouldn't... <laughs> I mean, people are people, and, <laughs> like, that is a factor in, in yeah, like everything, yeah, for sure. right? <laughs> but uh, from an American point of view, I would say it is much harder to do that here because of the prices of land and the prices of doing what we do no one's gonna get rich doing this not with the type of wine that we make not here not when they're gonna owe either they're paying crazy rents for their entire career which is probably what i'll be doing or if they somehow got investment money to own a building they're gonna be paying that off for the rest of their lives so like money wise i'm not sure there's like a success story yet um But in terms of like getting people to buy and be interested, I would say just being honest, doing something for a reason and anybody can have a reason. I think there's this idea amongst my peers that like certain winemakers aren't real and certain natural winemakers aren't like real enough natural winemakers because like they don't have a reason. But, you know, we all we all did it for something. And maybe they're not sharing their reason as publicly, but like sure. they have something inside of them that's driving them uh, in an industry that is not kind, like financially or socially. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's something in them is, is driving their heart, you know? Um, and, and I think the more people who do what I do, who are honest about what they're doing and why they're doing it, the more likely they're going to be successful. I feel like that is why I have been successful. It's not like I'm financially successful or anything, but the wines have really taken off in lots of different markets. And I think it's because I didn't pretend that I was doing anything differently except for why I was doing it. And I just told the truth the whole time. And I think that's why natural wine is uh so big right now. I think people are interested in not having as much like a little mystery is fine, right? But like people want to know how their products are made and where they're from. Mm-hmm. Um, and they want to know the story of who made it, not a made-up story, just like who is this person? What do they do on the day-to-day? What is their involvement in this? And it's not like every person has to be the most involved in their company. Like, I tell people all the time, like, when someone takes over my winemaking, hopefully soon, like, I'm really hoping it's in, like, five years from now, like, that'll be the most successful feeling that I'll ever have. When I get to say that so-and-so is the winemaker for margins and I'm the director of winemaking, that's making it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, like, and me changing my title isn't going to make... The margins brand any less valuable. But I'm so I'm going to tell the truth about what my involvement is in it. And telling the truth is going to make it more valuable because it'll A, pass the torch, and B, people will be like, oh, cool, like who else is involved in that? And then when my story gets old and boring because people have heard it a billion times, they'll be like this new person to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think honesty honesty is really big especially in in this sector of the industry
3: do you have like colleague i guess colleagues or friends or or folks out there who are are really like doing it right that you see that you're really excited about or that are doing impressive farming and things like that
0: yeah i think anyone who's doing farming is impressive um <laughs> i'm impressed with i'm impressed with anybody who's doing What we're doing, especially the people that started with nothing. The people who started with money or whatever advantages they had are still having a hell of a time and they're impressive too. But the people that really built something from nothing, I'm partial to just because that's how I feel about myself of like, wow, I just like created this thing and just like farming, it just took time, just took waiting. And so anyone that has stuck with something for a period of time in order to make it uh, feel more real. I guess like margins isn't any more real now than it was in 2016. It's just been more time. But I'm doing the exact same thing, and sticking with it was so hard in the, especially in like the middle years, like year three and four. <sighs> yeah, it's just, it's not a good industry to be in when you when you don't have connections or, or money and uh, yeah, like I said, even when you do, very impressive to want to keep doing it. Yeah, like cool. the wines that I buy, I was just talking about this too. Like, I don't buy very much wine, but if I buy wine, it's going to be from one of those small producers in California, um, because they're we all are, you know, one bad release away from having to close our company because yeah. we're so short on money all the time. And unfortunately, wine is a business too. And yeah, that that's just not discussed enough. Also, um,
2: by the way, the Flores wines who you like, you guys work out of the same uh building, yeah, they are at our wine shop, not right now, but they are distributed in Tennessee. So I've seen them in the wine shop. So one day maybe we can see margins and flores side by side in the store.
0: (laughs) Well, you will be able to. I'm I'm in the process currently of applying for my Tennessee. Permits that is so awesome. It's I will, real.
2: that's really exciting.
3: Yeah. yeah, and then please let me know like which distributors or, or whatever you end up using for here.
2: Oh,
0: yeah, because you're a wine yeah. buyer, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Um, it was so fun to talk to you both. Yeah, and I yeah, appreciate likewise. you wanting to, speak yes. All right, thank you so much, Megan. Yeah, this yeah. was, this was, it
1: was... Uh,
3: so fun. I learned so much, oh. and I have a massive perspective gain from all this so
0: thank you thank you yeah Yeah, this
3: is wonderful
0: we can drink some rosé if that's what you wanna do it's okay we can drink some merlot
1: whatever we want on our juice box show